It's a fine spring day, exactly one century ago. A new kind of army is mobilizing in cities and towns across the continent. Armed with finely honed phrases, irrefutable counter-arguments, and a sales patter that paused only for whatever breathing was really necessary, they descended on millions of homes. They were fuller brush men. They weren't just knocking on hundreds of thousands of doors. They were flying in the face of conventional marketing wisdom. Over the years, their legion would include Billy Graham, Joe DiMaggio, Dick Clark, and Dennis Quaid. Alfred C. Fuller grew up learning to work hard for whatever he got, a lesson he must have learned around the family dinner table as the 11th of 12 children raised near Wellsford, Nova Scotia in the late 1800s. Fuller would insist the business empire he built was born in the berry patches of the Annapolis Valley, where he earned a penny a quart for what he could pick, sometimes as many as 30 quarts per day. In time, he noticed a trend. Young men and women were moving to the city, where they could make more money than they could in farming. Who knew? So in 1903, at the age of 18, Fuller moved to Boston, where, three years later, he ponied up $375 to start a company making brushes. And here's where he parted company with the deep thinkers of marketing. In those days, advertising was all about big. The idea was to mass manufacture a product, advertise it in the biggest papers and magazines in as many places as possible, and do business in volume. Fuller chose a different route. In 1906, he advertised all right, but for salesmen, door-to-door -door salesmen, to take his product, literally, into people's homes. Fuller believed that a one-on-one -on -one sales pitch was the most personal, most effective way of convincing people of the merits of his brushes. Where most advertisers used cost-effective mass marketing to reach thousands, Fuller used old-fashioned, commission-driven salesmen, running on road food and shoe leather, tediously, methodically cultivating customers one at a time. By 1919, the Fuller Brush Company was making a million dollars a year. By 1960, it was making $109 million a year. Though Fuller would reign over a business empire and the Fuller Brush Man would enter pop culture lore, the concept of reaching out to customers one-on-one, -on -one, in person, goes against the bristles of today's marketing practices. Yet there are few souls in my business who don't wonder if Alfred Fuller wasn't onto something that most of us are missing. That when you speak to thousands or millions, you surrender the persuasive power of one-on-one -on -one intimacy. My name is Terry O'Reilly. Let's take a few minutes, just you and me, and explore the myth of mass marketing. I'll show you the high price advertisers pay when they sacrifice the unum on the altar of the pluribus in the age of persuasion. I want chicken, I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, need. That's us! Spicy meatball! Hey, great, a toothpaste should bite cabbage. 
It was ad giant Fairfax Cone who said, there is no such thing as a mass mind. The mass audience is made up of individuals, and good advertising is written always from one person to another. When it is aimed at millions, it rarely moves anyone. Yet that idea is so easily lost to the seductive powers of mass media, which make it possible to reach more people for less money. Sometimes the medium itself creates a distance between messenger and recipient. I'll show you what I mean. Let's pick a situation where one person wants to communicate something important to someone else. Janice? Yes, Derek? I think you know how important you are to me, and I want you to be my wife. Oh, Derek! Somehow, when that message is conveyed by some more distant, less intimate medium, it's not quite the same. Oh, a letter from Derek. I think you know how important you are to me. I want you to be my wife. Please use the enclosed self-addressed stamped envelope. When advertisers strive to reach the largest possible audience with the smallest possible effort and no personal attention, something is invariably lost. Oh, it's from Derek. Janice, I think you know how important you are to me. I want you to be my wife. One, two, three, four, eight exclamation marks? P.S. Save on Viagra. Bouvala watches. Pre-approved loans regardless of credit history. Nice. The more impersonal the medium, the greater the message suffers. Hello? Good afternoon, Janice. Stay on the line for an important matrimonial opportunity. For a marriage proposal in English, press 1. For a proposal in French, press 2. If you've always thought of me as a friend, press 3. Or stay on the line for one of our representatives. Your call is important. Ad agencies have struggled with it for generations. Mass marketing, at its worst, has become cold, impersonal, and irrelevant a condition some brands attempt to counter every day. Thank you for calling the River Chase branch of Compass Bank. This is Janine. English. Hello, can I help you? Customer service. Sir, can you hear me? This is Janine at the branch. Can I help you? 008451. Oh, darn it. <clears throat> Start again. Hello, sir. Can you hear me? Customer service. Sir, this is Janine at the branch, and I would love to help you. Is there anything I can assist you with? Checking account. Sir? Hello, sir? Start again. Sir? Actually, this is not a recording. You've reached the branch. Is there anything I can help you with? Start again. Have people forgotten what it's like to speak to a human being? Open a Compass Free Checking Account, and we'll provide you with a list of friendly, real people and their direct numbers for your local branch. What's more, we don't charge you ATM fees, no matter where you withdraw your money. Compass Bank, just a little better. Limited time offer, $25 minimum opening deposit required, member FDIC. Okay, they lose a few humanity points for that legal rambling at the end. Beyond that, there's something eerie in the fact that advertisers taking the anti-big, 
personalized service position are part of a quaint minority and a strong symptom of just how impersonal some mass marketing has become. At its heart, all business is a conversation. For thousands of years, most business was literally that, a series of conversations in town markets. When that conversation stops or becomes one-sided, the trouble begins. By the 19th century, after the Industrial Revolution and the advent of rail travel, mass marketing filled the eyes of entrepreneurs with dollar signs, or pound sterling. But it opened up a hornet's nest of communication problems. Advertising became a surrogate salesman. Though you wouldn't know it from most 19th century ad copy. Notice MF Dent, Cockspur Street, Charing Cross. Watch clock and chronometer maker to the Queen, to the Crowns of Europe, and to the Lords Commissioners of the Admiralty. Mr. H.M. Stanley says, The chronometers supplied by you and taken across Africa in my late expedition proved of very great service to me, and were in every way thoroughly satisfactory and reliable. New times meant more products, convenience, more choices. But manufacturers were soulless, distant, and impersonal. Even when radio changed the scale and the reach of mass marketing, ad copy was often just as soulless. Whenever you buy anything, whether for your personal use or for your home or for your car, there is an undeniable feeling of satisfaction in the knowledge that it is a standard product, widely and favorably known. Perfect circle piston rings are the standard of the automotive industry. This early radio spot, for instance, is all but indistinguishable from that staple of 21st century synthetic voices, Microsoft SAM. Perfect circle piston rings are the standard of the automotive industry, used by more than 80% of America's car manufacturers in all or a large part of their production. That merits an LOL. <laughs> The massive rise of broadcast did little to help. Too many advertisers were reading their own press, caught up in their own size and importance. Rather than speak to their customers, so many chose the dark side and spoke about themselves. Here's an easy litmus test. Imagine an Autolite salesman is three feet away, looking you in the eye. Would you be inspired to buy something if he spoke to you like this? This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. Autolite is proud to serve the greatest names in the industry. They are members of the Autolite family, as well as are the 98,000 Autolite distributors and dealers in the United States and thousands more in Canada and throughout the world. Our family also includes the nearly 30,000 men and women in 28 great Autolite plants from coast to coast and Autolite plants in many foreign countries, as well as the 18,000 people who have invested a portion of their savings in Autolite. Every Autolite product is backed by constant research and precision built to the highest standards of quality and performance. So remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. The antithesis of the Roman market vendor chatting with a customer is the CEO on the 77th floor of head office 
receiving annotated synopses of what her customers are thinking. Mass marketing erodes that genuine one-on-one -on -one connection that links the buyer and the seller. A connection further strained when a brand crosses cultures. The trick for most multinational brands, though, is to impress new customers with the brand personality that made them famous without appearing to be, you know, from away. Which is why international brands tend to hire local ad agencies with people who, in all respects, speak the language. And why a brand like McDonald's adapts its menu from place to place. In Arab countries, McDonald's sells beef burgers to avoid the word ham and the connotations of pork, which is forbidden. In a Norway McDonald's, you can order McLax, made of grilled salmon with dill sauce. In Chile, you might gussy up your McDonald's burger with avocado paste. In Uruguay, your McWevo is topped with a poached egg. In India, you can enjoy a Maharaja Mac, made of lamb or chicken. In some countries, you can order beer with your meal. In Spain, for instance, where a Grandi Mac y Cerveza might hit the spot. Hmm. I wonder how McDonald's connects with the people of France. And you know what they call uh, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? And what do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. <laughs> local, but not local. Familiar, yet impersonal. For my side of the business, where ad creative is made, the trick is to bridge the chasm made by mass marketing. And over the years, People in my trade have developed some remarkable devices to help them do it. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is the Age of Persuasion. Here comes the Kraft Caramels train. Choo 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 Kraft Caramels, two Kraft Caramels, two Kraft Caramels, two Kraft Caramels. Buttery The longer you chew them, the better you like them. The longer you chew them, the better you like them. The longer you chew them, the better you like them. Railways begat mass merchandising and mass marketing, which created distance between advertisers and consumers. So, for decades, and even today, many believe the best way to bridge that gap is to yell. All aboard for the Kraft Caramels train! Who, who, who's going to buy Kraft Caramels? Good and chewy, 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 good and chewy. You don't imagine young men and women listening to that and telling their parents, Mom, Dad, forget medical school. I heard this Kraft Caramel ad, and I want to be in advertising. The best ad writers understand that every brand must differentiate itself from others. And a great message differentiates from those that surround it. Not long ago, Belgian radio listeners were treated to this. Translated, that ad becomes this. We thank our clients for having bought a LaPere hearing aid. So much great marketing is packed into those five seconds. 
To the point of mass marketing being impersonal, it raises two important points. First, by whispering. It shows one of the many strengths of this medium. Quiet, and especially silence, are the loudest sounds on radio. Speaking in a hushed tone is far more personal, far more intimate than, say, a guy yelling about caramels over a locomotive. I believe radio is, by far, the most personal of media. The combination of the human voice, sound, and imagination connect people as no other medium does. A second strength is more cerebral. That spot leaves it to you to figure out for yourself why the woman is whispering. As a copywriter and director, I'm a firm believer in not completing the circle, in letting the listener place the last piece of the puzzle. By leaving you to conclude that LaPere hearing aid customers are better equipped to hear that message, that spot transforms you from a passive listener to active participant. When the agency Fallon did a great campaign for a haircutting place, they ran a black and white ad with a picture of Albert Einstein with the headline, A bad haircut can make anyone look dumb. There's the difference between good and great copywriting. It let the reader fill in the blank. That Einstein was brilliant, but his hair, you know, wasn't. If they had filled in that blank and written, Einstein may have been a genius, but his haircut was stupid. They would have left no room for the reader, nothing to contribute. Bad copywriters lecture their audience. Great copywriters engage them. Women can be so superficial sometimes, it just makes me so angry. I'm at a party talking to what I thought was an amazing, fun girl, one that just knows how to bring fun to a boring group. So I'm turning up the charm, I mean really turning up the charm, flirting, chatting her up all night. I could feel the vibe growing, but she totally doesn't respond, right? Like, not at all. So I went back home and I looked at my shoulders and I got it right away. She had noticed my dandruff before I did and that's why we didn't click. So I ran to the store, bought head and shoulders haven't had a single flake since then so the next time I run into that girl I can yell at her who demand now who's the non flaky man like the ad for LaPere hearing aids that spot lets you in on a joke in this case it's the classic guy who doesn't get it device a mindset articulated on the big screen by a young Indiana Jones when he said everybody's lost but me but I stopped that spot early because the tag, the announcer portion at the end, undid so much of the charm of what was witty and engaging about that spot. Um, you've got bigger problems than dandruff. This message brought to you by Head and Shoulders. Ouch. Nothing kills a joke worse than explaining it. And it shows the push-pull dynamic that advertisers struggle with every day. On one hand, you wonder if everyone will get your joke. On the other hand, if you do explain it, you risk telling your audience, in effect, that you don't think they're smart enough to grasp it on their own. Remarkably, big and personalized are not always mutually exclusive. This is me in a Starbucks, sipping a, don't tell me, hmm, a double mochaccino latte frappe with sprinkles and a shot unless I'm sorely mistaken. Starbucks combats the remoteness big brands face with a very interesting strategy. 
Theirs is a business of mass customization. They want to serve millions, but have created an ordering language and encourage customers to order very specific, personal coffees. They believe if customers feel ownership of the drink, they will be inclined to come back and order it day after day. The individuals who order their personal favorites then become part of a common tribe or community. A pluribus formed of so many unums in the Starbucks galaxy. Though most brands remain aloof and impersonal, they're always looking for a way to relate to you. Most will find a common problem, emotion, or situation that prompts you to nod or occasionally shake your head. Traveling with children compressed by Stuff at Deluxe. Are we? Yes. Stuff at Deluxe, available for Mac or PC. Download at StuffIt.com. True to the brand, that spot is short and compact. Like the brand, it takes something cumbersome and tedious and compresses it into a tight package. Marriage, compressed by Stuff at Deluxe. I do want half. Stuff at Deluxe, available for Mac or PC. Download at StuffIt.com. Rather than lecture you about the virtues of its compression software, that brand relates to you through a metaphor from everyday life. In a very similar way, a good stand-up comedian will quickly establish a bond with an audience by sharing jokes about a familiar experience. Kari Rigg is a real Geico customer, not a paid celebrity. So to help tell her story, we hired Peter Frampton. My car was totally smashed in an accident. Not a great way to start the morning. And the tow truck that the police called damaged it even more. I wanted to pull my hair out. Geico handled everything quick and easy. It felt great. Do you feel like I do? Geico. Real service, real savings. In order to become real to millions of faceless consumers, Geico paired actual customers with actual celebrities. In effect, they're tapping the best of both worlds, blending the irresistible lure of famous faces and voices with the shared experiences the rest of us can relate to. Celebrities themselves are a byproduct of the myth of mass media, which reveals itself when they meet members of their public. Years ago, when I first worked with Bob Newhart, I felt so immediately comfortable with him. He had been in my living room so many times over the years, but he was a little standoffish with me for the longest time because I had not spent any time whatsoever in his living room. Celebrity creates an artificial intimacy with media acting as one-way glass. That intimacy is often forged less on reality and more on the image the celebrity wants to convey and the image an audience member wants to perceive. It's the distance between them that helps keep that myth intact. Artificial or not, celebrities remain an indispensable bridge across the growing chasm between big brands and the consumers they court. From Place des Nations at Expo 67, CBC Radio presents the official opening of the Universal and International Exhibition of 1967 at Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Despite this desire to create intimacy, inherently lacking in mass media, there are rare special moments when most of us desire to be just one part of a vast group experience. These are the seminal moments when we marvel together as a species. Okay, engine stop. 
Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. We celebrate together as fans. While the team pours over the board, they're mobbing Henderson. We grieve together as a people. John Lennon was taken in the backseat of a police car to a hospital near his home. He was pronounced dead on arrival. His body was taken to the New York morgue. In these special rare moments, the veil is lifted. And only then is the true nature and matchless power of mass media revealed. The irony, of course, is that advertisers who embrace mass marketing resist its greatest strength, its ability to make us feel part of a large group sharing a common experience. That's because marketing is about influencing purchase decisions, which aren't made by the masses, they're made by you. That's why smart marketers write commercials as if talking to one person. That when a person hears a good ad, it feels like it was made specifically for them. As Steven Spielberg has said, I make movies for the masses, but I talk to them one at a time. In one of my favorite books, The Clue Train Manifesto, the authors lament that most advertisers think of the market in terms of Mack trucks packed with products whizzing by, when they should be thinking of a table for two. When political candidates campaign, when reaching voters really, really matters, they invariably go door to door and personally meet as many people as they can. Why? Because mass media, however effective, will never have the same oomph as personal contact. Alfred Fuller understood, in a time when few others did, that there are no shortcuts. Mass marketing can reach millions, but it can only work one customer at a time. It was as true in the old Roman markets as it is today, in the age of persuasion. Just for you, Aaron, The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. Aaron, your engineer is Keith Oman. We hope you like this music, Aaron. It's by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. The Age of Persuasion is produced for you, Aaron, and for CBC Radio by Pirate Toronto. All right, Keith, who's next? Next is Abigail. Yeah, we're going to be here a while.